Oh, so um, growing up, we had a, a junior high, or I, yeah, I guess he was a junior high pastor moving to my, my home church in western Kansas. And a guy's name was Mike. He was awesome. He's, he's one of the primary reasons I am in ministry now. But I remember he moved there, and just after he moved here uh, to Garden City, Kansas, we had this ski trip um, down in Angel Fire, New Mexico. And so Mike was from back east somewhere, and so just the whole concept of distance uh, was something he didn't understand. Like, he'd never, I don't think he'd ever been anywhere where, like, there wasn't a gas station every 20 or 25 miles. So I remember, you know, we packed up, and, and so we, we had this 15-passenger church van, uh, this trailer loaded, and we get to uh, this town called Clayton, New Mexico. And so if you've ever been to northeast New Mexico, I mean, Clayton's just a real gem of a town. Uh, and you leave Clayton, and it's about 80, I think it's 87 miles to the next gas station, 87 miles to the next town. So we're getting ready to leave Clayton, and uh, Mike's driving. He's got this 15-passenger van, uh, and he's got a trailer behind it. And I was his intern at the time. I was, I can't remember, a junior or senior in high school helping him out. And I glanced over, and he had just under a quarter tank of gas. And so I was like, hey, man, we better, you know, we were right at the edge of town. We'd gone through town. I was like, we better turn around and get some gas. And he goes, no, no, we're good. I was like, Mike, it's, you know, it's about 90 miles to the next gas station. He was like, no, no, we're fine. And, you know, some other people in the van were like, Mike, we, we better stop and get gas. We're, we're not going to make it. And Mike's like, oh, we'll make it. I'm not turning this thing around. And, uh, you know, we talked to him for another minute. I mean, he was dead set. He goes, nope, nope, I'm not turning this around. So he's like, we're going to make it. You know what? We almost did. We were about 16 miles out of Verton. We're going up this hill. And all of a sudden, the van sputters. And, and just we lose momentum. And Mike goes, oh, no, I think we broke down. And a couple people in the van are like, no, I don't think we broke down. I think we're out of gas. And he's like, no, we can't be. And, uh, you know, we just kind of rolled a stop and get off to the side. And we're sitting there. And I think one of the church elders maybe was in a suburban behind us. And he pulls up next to us and gets out. And he's like, hey, Mike, you know, you okay? And Mike's like, yeah, I, I think I might need some gas. And, you know, the guy looks at me. He's like, well, where were you at when we went through Clayton? And Mike's like, well, I mean, we had almost a quarter tank. You know what I mean? He's just, just embarrassed. So, uh, you know, the elder drove on, got us gas, got back, you know, filled up the van. We got there. Great ski trip and stuff. Lesson learned, though, is that Mike, I don't think, ever ran out of gas in a church van again. I don't, I don't know that we ever passed a gas station without topping off after that, right? But there's something, there's something about, like, you know, and, and I mean, we, we know it because we live in Lewistown, but, you know, I have family from, like, New England, and just the, the whole idea of space is, is just different, you know, when, when you experience it. I mean, you know, we'd have people come to Kansas, and, and I mean, Kansas isn't a massive state, but it's 400-plus miles across. We'd have family from Vermont, New Hampshire. I mean, they're used to driving across three states between breakfast and lunch, and they'd call us, and they'd be like, hey, we're in Kansas City, and it's breakfast. We'll, we'll have lunch with you guys. And, you know, my dad would be like, well, that's 430 miles. I don't know what, you know, what time you guys eat lunch, but I don't think it'll be uh, when we're eating lunch. And, and one of those, until you experience kind of that distance, like you, you just don't really know. And, and until you have that experience, I mean, you can kind of have the head knowledge, but like there's something different about like knowing something, but like actually living through and experiencing and really owning and knowing something. I think that's kind of what we're getting at today. So we're starting this new series and we're, we're going to be in the book of Colossians for like the next eight or nine weeks. And we're going to work through basically every verse in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles open up, we're going to be in the first part of Colossians 1 today. So we're going to try and just really dig in, just really get to know this book. Colossians is this, just this amazing book. 
Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. It's one of what's known as the prison letters. And so there were four letters. There was Colossians, uh, Philemon, Ephesians, um, and then Galatians uh, that were written in prison. And so, I'm sorry, I said Galatians. I meant Philippians. So there are four prison letters, but two of them are very, very similar. The book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians is very, very similar. And those books are really like Paul's writing to these, these young churches, and we're going to be looking at the church in Colossae. Uh, that's, what, that's who received the letter to the Colossians. It's this young church, you know, they, they've been a church for, I don't know, maybe, maybe five years, maybe ten years. So, so Christians that had not been Christians a really long time. And Paul hadn't even planted the church. Actually, our best guess is that if you go back to um, Acts chapter 19, uh, the Apostle Paul, he's been planting a bunch of churches. He stops in the city of Ephesus, and he actually stays there a couple years. And, and our best guess is that Paul started the church um, that got the letter of Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. He started that, but during his time there, um, he probably met this young guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras was from the city of Colossae. And Epaphras heard about the gospel and then went back and started a church in Colossae. So Paul didn't even actually start this church, um, but our best guess is that, is that one of Paul's students did. And so then Paul writes this church, and, and the church in Colossae, they were facing this issue. And, uh, and you ever hear a conversation like on the phone where you hear the answers, but not the questions? That's what we have with Colossians. Like we hear Paul's answer, but we don't actually know the questions. And so for 2,000 years, Bible scholars, people have too much time on their hands, all those folks like write about what's just called the Colossian problem. And basically trying to figure out what was going on at the church in Colossians um, so that Paul would write the way he did. It's one of those where, where we don't actually know the issue. Uh, we just know Paul's response. We're hearing kind of half of a conversation. Uh, but that's actually really cool uh, because for us then, like we, we hear the answer and, and it answers like this whole host of problems. And I think sometimes for us, that kind of removes the excuse. You know, sometimes like we'll read about a specific question that has a specific answer. And we'll be like, well, my question isn't exactly that, so it doesn't apply to me. But in the book of Colossians, we just hear this, this answer that Paul gives that is really the answer for any question that we have in life. So if you're keeping notes uh, on, your, on the back of your bulletin, there's some blanks. This is the first blank is that Colossians at its core is really about who Jesus is and how that affects us. Like, that's Colossians in a nutshell. Um, is that there is something about knowing who Jesus is, like really getting it, that affects everything about the way that we live our life. And it's really interesting because Paul prays this way in a, a couple different times. Um, but in Colossians... One of Paul's biggest prayers for the people is just that they would understand who Jesus is. Not, not just know it here, but like experientially get and understand who Jesus is. Because if we figure that out, like once we know that, that changes everything about it. I mean, we, we can read the Bible, we can read about Christianity. Once we experience Jesus, Jesus changes every single thing about our life. So that's that's Colossians at its core. And, and as we're going through the book, you know, as we're going to spend a, a while going over and, and the first part of Colossians um, is, is about what we would kind of call orthodoxy or like what we should believe. 
um, the, the doxy, the, the doctrine of the Christian faith. We read about who Jesus is, uh, read about um, what Jesus has done for us, read about how we should view Jesus. And then, and then about the end of Colossians 2 and Colossians 3, we turn this corner and we start talking about then the orthopraxy. And, and the praxy part is the practice part, how we practice, how we live out our faith. Um, and and that, that then is incredibly practical. You know, we're, we're going to talk about how to be a parent, how to be a godly parent, how to be a godly spouse, how to be a godly employer, how to be a godly man, how to be a godly woman, how, how to follow Jesus when life is tough. All of that. But Paul, before we get there, says, well, let's figure out who Jesus is because we can't really answer like how to live until we answer why we should live that way. And we really, we get the why by figuring out the who Jesus is. So if you have your Bibles, let's start reading Colossians chapter 1. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up here on the screen. This is what we read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So we know Paul. Paul originally was named Saul Book of Acts, uh, starting in chapter 9, kind of follows his life's journey. Um, he was the, the apostle to the Gentiles. So God basically just sent him all over the known world, and he just planted churches. And usually he'd go somewhere, he'd start preaching the gospel, he'd get in trouble, a church would start, he'd go away, and then often he would write letters back. And, and he actually ended up writing uh, about a third of the New Testament or so. So this is what we read Paul, this is this guy, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy, he was the guy at Ephesus. He was the guy that was left at Ephesus to run the church there. Uh, you read about him in Acts chapter 16. At this time, he's probably a pretty young church leader, and he's there with Paul. So Paul and Timothy writing this to the saints, and anytime we read saints in the New Testament, that's just word for Christians. So to the saints, faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So that's just pretty standard greeting. You know, it, in our letters today, you sign your letter at the end. Letters back in the day, you would sign it at the very beginning. Uh, and then generally, you, you would just say something like, peace to everybody. And, and Paul goes a step further. You know, he says, hey, God's grace to you. And then he says this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. All right, next blank is this. It's important that Paul, like, he thanks the people. He says, hey, we know about your faith in Jesus. And the first thing he points out is the way they love their fellow Christians. Church unity is a big deal. That's, that's the next blank. So Paul immediately points out to the Colossians, before he gets to anything else, before he gets to, uh, you know, how they live, uh, you know, their reputation in the community, before he gets to how they treat their family, one of the very first things Paul points out in all of Colossians is, hey, one of the markers of you being a disciple is how well you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, you know, Jesus in John 17, his longest recorded prayer, um, his biggest prayer was just unity. And he, he said, you know, God, like people will recognize who Jesus is by the way that Christians love each other. And that's something that, that we talk about a lot, but I don't know that we could ever talk about too much. Uh, so if I were to ask you, you know, how well do you love uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Most of us would be like, well, the ones I like, I'm really good at loving. <laughs> but man. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's, there, there's a couple people who come to church who are Christians who just are, you know, not the brightest crayons in the box. So this is, this, I'm, I'm quoting somebody else here. This is not my opinion, okay? 
So, right? But, but sometimes we look and we're like, man, you know, like, there are just a couple people that I really, really disagree with. I just don't like. And uh, honestly, God, God never gives us that option in the church, right? I mean, Jesus says, if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're both followers of Jesus, then one of the biggest markers that people recognize we're followers of Jesus and that we're different is the way we love each other. And if we have trouble loving people inside the church, then how in the world are we going to figure out how to love people outside the church? And if we're one of those people like, man, I'm really good at loving people outside the church, I just, I just don't like other Christians, um, then, then we have a pretty shallow love um, because that, that's like surface level because if we're serious about figuring out how to love the way Jesus loved, then we've got to figure out how to get deep and get messy and work through disagreements. It's interesting that Paul, when he's talking to the Colossians, one of the first things you praise him for, he says, man, I thank God because everybody knows how well you guys love each other. And that church had people in it, and so I'm guessing not everybody looked at everybody else in the church and was like, man, I like you so much today. But they were able to figure out how to love each other well, and that is, a, that is the the one of the primary markers of followers of Jesus is how well we love each other in the church. So Paul says this. He says, you guys love each other in the church. I've heard about your, God, your faith in the gospel because of your hope in heaven. Like, you guys know why you're doing it. He says this, of this, you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, is indeed in the whole world, is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, fellow, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So he goes, he just tells the Colossian church, you guys have heard the gospel, which is bearing fruit and increasing all around the world. So this is another truth about Christianity. The gospel always bears fruit. The, the gospel always bears fruit. Like the gospel of Jesus cannot go out and not bear fruit. Wherever the gospel at, is at, it is going to bear fruit. And in fact, that, that's one of the markers that you know, Jesus gave us in John 15. He says, go somewhere, and like, if it doesn't bear fruit, then, then the gospel is not there. And, and God, like, bearing fruit doesn't, by the way, always mean numbers, right? Like a, a church can be bearing fruit even if it's not exploding numbers-wise. You know, as, as people go deeper and look more and more like Jesus, that's bearing fruit. Uh, but I think Paul is talking to the Colossian church. You know, this church is facing some hardship, and he just reminds them, hey, like remember, the gospel is growing throughout the church, or throughout the world. And that's one of the reasons you, the mission of the month, where every month we just talk about missionaries and missions that we partner with, both here in Montana and then all around the world. Uh, because the, the gospel is bearing fruit. You know, we, uh, you know Dundee and, and his church in Ethiopia, I can't remember the, the number off the top of my head. It's something like, over the last 10 years of ministry, I think they've affected like 65,000 people with the gospel. Um, Aaron and Morgan Weeks, they're also in Ethiopia. You know, I, I think this past year their, their team planted, um, I want to say it was like five or seven churches. And the gospel is growing around the world. And, and every once in a while, you know, we'll, we'll sit here and look around and be like, man, you know, it, it doesn't seem like things change a huge amount here. It's one of the reasons that we celebrate what's going on around the world because the gospel always bears fruit. And one of the things that can be encouraging for us is, is knowing that around the world, not just here, but that God's, God's word is moving and bearing fruit all around the world. The other thing that, that we notice here as Paul's talking to the Colossians is that Paul's primary ministry to the Colossians was one of prayer. 
You know, there's a, uh, Oswald uh, Chambers is, uh, I, d- I do his devotional every day. It's a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. It's basically, you know, I, I give my best to reach God's, God's highest for me. But one of the things he says about prayer is that prayer doesn't prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. I mean, that's so true. You know, I'm, I, I, need a, I just need to remember that quote all the time because I am someone who sometimes forgets the primary importance of prayer. You know, so, sometimes I'll, I'll treat prayer as like the, the prep or the launching pad, but, but not the hard work. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have our, our team meeting here, you know, our first Christian staff team meeting, and it's like, all right, let's pray, and then we'll get to work. And the truth is, like, but we, we don't change anything. I mean, God does that. And prayer is the heavy lifting. And the Apostle Paul, I mean, he had tons to do. He's planting churches all around the world. He was writing. I mean, he, he had lots of things to do. He had a full plate. And yet over and over in his, in his uh, different letters, we just read him talking about the importance of prayer. And, you know, he, he, he's the guy who said, you know, pray continually, pray without ceasing. You know, he says, we always remember God to you in our prayers. For Paul, prayer was the primary ministry. And, and I think about my busy life. I know you guys have a busy life. And I wonder sometimes if we treat prayer as kind of that, that thing that we do that we get, you know, check off the list, kind of in, include God in what we're doing and then go on with our day. That's not the way Paul viewed prayer. Because Paul was very much a, hey, prayer, prayer is the work that we do. And everything other than that, everything outside that is just icing on the cake. And if the Apostle Paul who wrote, you know, a third of the New Testament and the Apostle Paul who planted churches all over the known world, this was, this was like, I mean, if, if God had a varsity, Paul would be on it, right? And this guy was like, no, like prayer is where it starts for me. I think about that and I think about the way I treat prayer and I'm like, man, <laughs> you know, prayer really is the greater work, but I, would, I don't always treat it that way. Um, prayer for me is... is oftentimes been a, a struggle just just praying consistently building up like just a, a steady prayer habit in my life and if that's you uh, I just want to invite you so we do the first Sunday evening of every month uh, we do a prayer night here at the church and we just take an hour and uh, we have just different areas set up uh, for however you want to pray so Tia Carr kind of runs point on it and this is what she wrote out for tonight uh, she said tonight at 7 p.m. we meet for our monthly prayer night uh, we'll have printouts for folks to know uh, where we are wanting to focus our prayers. Uh, if you prefer to pray out loud with others, there's space in the foyer by the fire to join together. Uh, if you prefer to pray more in solitude, there's space in the sanctuary to sit alone and commune with the Lord. Uh, consider joining us here at FCC from 7 to 8 p.m. to lift our prayers to the Lord. You know, if you're struggling with your prayer life, um, it's not, hey, come pray here for an hour and you're all fixed and you're good till the next month. But a lot of times coming together and getting together with a group of folks and just praying is a good way to jumpstart that. And a lot of times all all we need is a little bit of structure to kind of hang our hat on as we're developing uh, just a more consistent prayer life. If that's you, I want to invite you, come join us tonight at 7. We'll have some guided prayer. That's just a a place to start or to take that next step and uh, just kind of build up a little bit more consistency. Because if the Apostle Paul thought prayer was that big a deal, then we probably ought to think it's that big a deal as well. This is what Paul says. After he talked about that, he said this. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. 
Again, prayer is the primary ministry that he has. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You guys get all that? All right, listen, that, that, was, a, that was a mouthful. And uh, one of the things that's just kind of ironic about Paul is uh, if you read Greek, um, which I know a lot of us like wake up in the morning excited that we get to read some Greek, right? But one of the things that you did in ancient Greek to show that you were intelligent is you would make a sentence as long as you could, right? So in the English language, a run-on sentence is considered just, just poor grammar. In Greek, if you made a run-on sentence, uh, you were considered intelligent. And if you could make it really, really long, you were considered really intelligent. So one of the challenges in Colossians and then Philippians is that entire chapters uh, don't even make up a full sentence in Greek. And so we read this, and this comes across as a huge mouthful, but one of the things that Paul was doing here is he was kind of establishing some credibility, um, you know, where, where folks would be like, ah, Christianity, that's the, that's the religion of, you know, idiots. And Paul would be like, well, some of us are fairly bright. And so he'd write at this really, really scholarly level. And so one of the things that that does for us is when we read it in English, we're like, oh my goodness, there's a lot going on here. And there really is, but it really boils down to that first sentence. Let's go back and read verse 9. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And this is, the, this is the, the primary prayer. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. All right, so this is the next blank. Paul's primary prayer here is that Colossians would really get who God is. And, and not just at like a surface level here, right? But Paul's like, man, I just, I want you guys to really get who God is. Because if you get that, that's going to change everything. And it's not just knowledge, because the sentence right after that is that so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know, James says, even the demons know who God is, and they shudder about it, but it doesn't change their behavior. But if we're serious about following Jesus then Paul's prayers is that we would get it. We would really get who Jesus is because that affects everything about our life. Next blank is this. It's impossible to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord if I do nothing to familiarize myself with the Lord. You know, I was having a conversation with someone today. I've been inviting the same person to church for, uh, I think, almost two years now. And uh, they haven't come yet. You know, usually they give me a, you know, just kind of a smart aleck response and we just, you know, laugh and, and have a good time. But I always in, invite this person to church. And this week, they actually sat down and, and had a real conversation with me. And one of the things that they said is that, you know, I, I, I love God, uh, but there's no way we can know what God thinks about people. And so I just, you know, I, I, I just think you, you pastors tend to be judgy. And, um, and I was like, well, some, some of us are. And I know I am from time to time. But this person said, and there's no way to know, like, what is in God's heart. And I was like, well, actually, actually there is. I mean, God's, God's pretty clear about it. And so we read about, like, when Paul's like, hey, I want you to really get who Jesus is so that you can walk in a manner worthy 
of Him. Like part of that is God's Spirit moving, giving us, you know, just, just revealing Himself to us. But that's not one of those where we just sit on our laurels and expect God's going to fill us with knowledge. Right? It's impossible to, work in a, to walk in a manner pleasing to God if we don't do anything to figure out what's important to God. I mean, one of the reasons we do study on Wednesday nights, we have youth group, we have kids ministry, we have all of that, we have small groups, Bible studies that meet, is because God gave us a guidebook for finding Him. You know, we, we have the Gospels that show us what's important to Jesus. And if we're serious about following Jesus, and if the Christian faith is something that's important to us, then we better take seriously our responsibility to be as familiar as we can be with the things that are important to God, the things that are important to His heart, and the things that are important to Jesus. Because the more familiar we are with that, the easier it is to know how God would have us respond. So we, we read this, and, and then after this, Paul says this, uh, you know, walk in a, a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. All right, you guys ever pray for patience? If you haven't, don't, okay? It's usually a mistake because there's only, like, who is uh, Will Rogers, you know, said that, you know, the, the only, only way to, to learn good judgment is through experience and the only way to get experience is through bad judgment. You know, that's, some of you guys are thinking through that still, right? Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of times, the only way we get patience is by going through tough stuff, right? And so Paul's like, hey, God has all this power in the world. And so Paul's like, you know what I'm going to pray for you? I'm going to pray for endurance and patience with joy. All right, listen, if they needed that prayer, I don't know what was going on in their lives, but it wasn't fun. And sometimes we fall into the boat of like, man, if I follow Jesus, everything ought to be puppy dogs and unicorns. You read about things like the prosperity gospel, where if you follow Jesus well enough, you'll be rich and happy and everything will fall your way. Um, the only issue with that is that actually is pretty much opposite to what Scripture teaches. I mean, if you read about any godly man or woman in Scripture, nobody had an easy life. And so Paul's talking to the Colossians. He's like, I want you to get who Jesus is. And I'm, I'm sure they were like, yep, that sounds good. And Paul's like, you know, when the gospel is going to bear fruit in you, it's going to grow. God has all this power. And the Colossians are like, absolutely preach it. And Paul's like, I'm going to pray with all that power that God gives you endurance and patience with joy. And they're like, whoa, hold up, Paul. <laughs> What's coming our way? The truth is, and the next blank is that this, as we grow in Christ, life does not become easier. Instead, our tools get better. Anybody who's followed Jesus for very long knows that just because I'm a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that life is easy or always good. Now, Jesus is always good. God's always good, always good. But that doesn't mean that life is always easy or good. And sometimes it's because I make a poor choice. Sometimes it's because there's sin. Sometimes it's because we live in a broken world and things happen that I don't have any control over. And the Colossians, they were facing something. And Paul says, man, I want you to have patience and endurance and, and I want you to have joy in the middle of that. And the truth is, when we follow Jesus, it's not that life becomes easier. In fact, a lot of times life becomes tougher. Because when we're not following Jesus, that whole spiritual warfare thing, I mean, you know, Satan doesn't care where we're at if we don't follow Jesus. 
But if we start following Jesus and we start leading other people to Jesus, then we're going to find more and more spiritual warfare in our life. Life doesn't get easier. And, and Paul's actually not even praying that life would be easier for these guys. He doesn't pray that God would take away their trials. Instead, Paul's prayer is that they would figure out endurance and patience with joy. Because when we follow Jesus, life doesn't get easier. But the more we know Jesus, the more we have the tools to deal with that. And again, how do we figure out the tools? You know, it's, it's a, most of it's right here, where we, we get the knowledge here. We read about people who have gone through tough stuff. We figure out what their principles were. We figure out how God worked through and in them. And then we figure out what that looks like for us. Colossians, then, the next blank is this. All the way through there, Paul's pointing at Jesus. He says, I pray God's going to do this, God's going to do this, God's going to do this. Colossians is a reminder that God saves us. I did not save myself. Excuse me, God saves me. I did not save myself. I typed that up in a my Microsoft Word. was like, your grammar's terrible. So I changed it for the blank, just not for my notes. God saves me. I didn't save myself. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. One of Paul's biggest things, and Paul was a genius. I mean, Paul, before he became Paul, his name was Saul, and he was probably one of the top four or five Jewish scholars in the world. I mean, you know, when, when, when he wrote out a list of, like, who compared to him as far as, like, importance in the Jewish world, I mean, there were maybe three names that would come out ahead of him. You know, he, he was a guy that really, like, in, in his culture, he had it made. He was basically as high as you could go. And all the way through Colossians, especially Colossians 1, 2, and 3, as he's establishing who Jesus is, he keeps pointing, he says, you know, over and over, he gives these little reminders that, like, God provides this. God qualified me for an inheritance. It's not anything I did myself. In Ephesians, he says it this way, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says, you know, for it's by the grace of God that we're saved, through faith, not by works, so that nobody can boast. God saves us, we don't save ourselves. And then he ends with this verse. He says, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Next week, we're going to get into that verse 15 uh, through the first part of chapter 2, where it talks about all who Jesus is. But Paul ends this section saying, there's two kingdoms, and only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and then what God identifies as the kingdom of this world, and that's anything else. And Paul says, let's remember, if we're a follower of Jesus, God has moved us from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. That's where we're at now. And let's make sure that we stay there. Because the kingdom of the world, that's the domain of darkness. The last blank is this. You're a member of a kingdom. There are only two. Choose your kingdom wisely. All the way through Colossians 1, especially up to now, you know, Paul's been pointing out again and again and again who God is, what God has done. And we don't know the question that was asked. We don't know the challenge the Colossians faced. We know that Paul prayed for him for endurance, for patience with joy. We know we talked a lot about how powerful God was, the importance of walking in a manner worthy of pleasing God. Then he ends talking, there's a domain of darkness, the kingdom of the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been moved from that kingdom to the kingdom of God. 
And that literally is an eternity-changing kingdom. And the spiritual truth there is that there's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of the world. And the kingdom of the world is anything that is not the kingdom of God. And we better choose our kingdom wisely. I think about Colossians, and then I think about us. And uh, all of us are going through different things, right? I mean, you know, if, if we made a list of, you know, the different trials, different challenges that we're at, you know, I mean, some of us are trying to figure out how to be parents and parent well. Um, some of us are trying to figure out how to be grandparents and not spoil our grandkids too bad, right? Some of us are, are going through stuff um, that's, that's a little bit heavier than that. You know, whether it's, it's job changes, death of a loved one, um, changing family dynamics, um, trying to find a job, you know, living in a new place, uh, any number, you know, uncertainty on what the future looks like, any number of things. And I love this because, because Colossians answers with God's truth, right? I mean, Colossians talks about how God provides patience and endurance for us. Colossians talks about the importance of walking in a manner worthy of God. Colossians talks about how there are two kingdoms, and we better pick the kingdom that we want to be a part of. And honestly, there's not a single problem that I'm aware of in this world that, that can't be solved by the truths found in Colossians. So there's a couple questions that we should ask. The first one is this. What kingdom are you a part of? You know, most weeks we ask some form of this question. But the truth is, again, there's two kingdoms. And every once in a while we get this crosswise, you know, we, we get our priorities off and, you know, we, we start to focus on something more than Jesus or something that's not kingdom of God and that becomes all-consuming for us. But if we're followers of Jesus, we, we at least know that for us, like, we've chosen the kingdom of God. The rest of Colossians doesn't even make sense if you're not part of that kingdom. So the question I just want to ask first today is what kingdom are you a part of? And if you don't know the answer to that, don't leave today without talking to us, please. Or if you do know the answer to that and you don't like the answer to that, then don't leave today without talking to one of us. Um, we're going to sing a song and we're going to have some announcements here in a minute and then service will be done and, and we'll pray as we're getting ready to leave. And uh, if you're here today and you want to talk about what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God, you just stay in your seat, make your way over by the drum set. You know, we'd love to just meet with you and talk with you, pray through what that looks like. Now, most of us, um, most of us have made that decision, right? Most of us have decided that we're part of the kingdom of God. So that puts us in the same boat as the Colossians. And all of us are going through some form of something, right? And, and if we're not now, we will be soon because life might be really good, but life has a way of just throwing curveballs sometimes. And I don't know everything that everybody in this room is going through, but I do know that no matter what it is, the answers are still... You know, God provides endurance, patience with joy. God saves us. We don't save ourselves. God calls us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. I know life doesn't get easier, but God does give us the tools. And man, I was, uh, I was on the phone with someone. Actually, during the worship time, we got a phone call. So I answered, it was someone who uh, had been walking with God and just, just was working through just kind of needing tools to deal with uh, some of what's going on in, in their life right now. And if you're here today and you know which kingdom you're a part of, you're part of the kingdom of God, 
but you've realized that, that you're not walking in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. I mean, we know what that looks like. You know, there's sin in our life. There's lack of priorities. There's lack of intentionality. There's maybe a, a lack of a prayer life that should be there. Now, let's fix that. You know, Colossians is all about once we know who Jesus is, like once, once we really experience and get that, that affects everything about us. So let's make sure that as we're working through Colossians, let's not be those people who like get the knowledge of Jesus and it stops short of coming out in our lives. Let's make sure that we're that church that is not perfect and is full of flawed people who know that we're saved by grace because God saves us. And that affects the way that we live our life. So again, you're part of the kingdom of God. You want to talk about what it looks like to live for Jesus. Uh, stay here. Let's pray together. Um, we have godly men, godly women that would love to pray with you, love to meet with you during the week, and just talk about what it looks like to live out our faith a little bit better. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to, song, we're going to sing. And at the end of the service, if you want, to, you want to pray with someone, just stay in your seat, make your way over by the drums, and we'll follow up with you from there. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Um, Jesus, thank you for, um, first of all, not letting the kingdom of this world be the only option. Jesus, thank you for looking down at a broken world and knowing that you were the only solution and then doing something about it. Jesus, thank you for Paul and uh, just the calling that you put on his life, the obedience that he had, the wisdom that he had, and the way that, that you, uh, you spoke through him and, uh, and produced the, the letter to the Colossians. Jesus, as we're taking the next couple months and spending some time in this book, um, pray that, uh, that, that the truth here is we just get a better and better grasp um, of who you are, uh, that that would affect every little bit of the way that we live our life. Um, Jesus, that, that that would uh, affect how we, how we live as, as a group of believers um, that, that love each other well and are a light for you um, in the kingdom of this world. Jesus, for those of us today who are wrestling through different things, pray that we would have the, the conviction, the courage um, to address the areas of our life that, that we still need to turn over to you or the ways, uh, areas in our life that we need to walk in a manner a little bit more uh, closely to the way that you lived your life. Jesus, we love you. We know that you love us more. It's in your name we pray. Amen.